Jazz, have you have you seen that meme of Conor McGregor at a UFC press conference and some nobody the... that <laughs> Of course, yeah. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who is this who guy, bro? Is that guy? Who the hell is this guy, bro? Hey, oh, guys, stop. He's Sunny Hunter. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like, if if he come, if this gets back to him and he hears this, I, I'd be happy for him to actually be brave enough to say, "Why don't we sit and discuss this publicly?" He can use. He ain't gonna see. He can't face I thought you were gonna go down the MMA path. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I did. Yeah. I did send out a tweet one day because somebody actually tagged me in with him and said, "Why don't you guys just settle this with a white collar boxing match?" And that's probably that's one of the few things that would get me in the ring, you know. Um. I, I, I tell you what. I tell you what. If that goes down, we'll put up a thousand pounds on the fight. Yeah, I'm backing. <laughs> Whoever, whoever wins will put up a thousand pounds. Yeah, are you calling out? I'm calling out. So you, you're, you're bankrolling this fight? I'll bankroll the fight. So we're joined by Jazz Veer Singh, senior press officer at the Sikh Press Association, having been there since its inception uh, six years ago, uh, with prior uh, experience in the press before that. Jazz, how are you doing? I'm all good, guys. I'm all good. Thank you for having me. How are you, Jazz? I want to ask you a question. Because you're in the media, you work in media, you work for a press association. What is this? What is this murky world of the media like? There, we're hearing about it a lot. It's interesting. It's interesting, especially in my role as a press officer, which means I do a bit of public relations, a bit of journalism, a bit of all that's in between. No two days I ever like. Um, I get to see kind of all ends of the spectrum when it comes to media. And, you know, you described it as a murky world. I'd have to be inclined to agree. Um, got many such kind of ways of showing how it's murky, but I, I'll let you into kind of this one experience that I had when I was fresh out of uni. Once I'd come out of university, I've I did a lot of investigative journalism. Uh, was a story about London gangs. And it was about gangs in my area and all across London that were copying the Bloods and the Crips of America in that they were representing themselves through colour and they were clashing based on that. I put it all together and I started pitching it to media. I'm pitching it and pitching it all over the place. And I didn't even get a single reply, let alone a rejection. So there I am thinking, you know, I've been learning about the media for four years now. How how have I gotten this so wrong that I'm pitching the story that no one obviously cares about? Why were they not? Why were they replying to you? So here we go. So two years later, I see that very same story, the very same topic that I was trying to pitch on the front page of the Sun. The Sun being the most read newspaper in the world at the time, and oh, wow. I think it might still be today. And so there, I'm thinking, okay, it gave me a harsh lesson very quickly within like two years of being out into the real world of uh, media and journalism, that sometimes it's not about the story. Sometimes it's about who's presenting the story. Who's, uh, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's about what makes money. And that's what media cares about most. People sometimes talk about kind of journalistic ethics. They talk about um, impartiality. None of this exists. It's a business. They're trying to make money. That's the bottom line for all the media organizations out there, every single one of them. Um, I have to say, hand on heart, except ours, the one I work for, because we don't work for profit. We're a not-for-profit organization. And, you know, we have a set salary. We're not going to get any commission from selling a story. We're not going to make any extra bonuses. So, yeah. That's so, the, the SEC PA. 
Yeah. I mean, in terms of your role there, Daz, I get the impression that you spend half of your time getting things into the press and half your time getting things out of the press. Okay, so one of the worst things that I've ever received was, so in the sick faith, I don't need to tell you guys, but for anyone listening, one of the a key practice of the sick faith, anyone on the sick path at some point is mandated to keep their cares, to keep unshorn hair, never cut your hair. And, you know, that's, that's a sign of, uh, giving yourself up to the creator and it's a sign of adorning the uniform which takes you know a lot of courage a lot of discipline but adorning the uniform of of the sick faith we received a request from a documentary maker that had been commissioned by one of the biggest tv news outlets in the uk if not the world well, definitely in the world and this production company had said we want to do a documentary on a sick a teenager that is 16 or under that wants to cut their gears, wants to cut their hair. And we want to follow them through the process of them cutting their hair and how they're going through this. And I was like, oh my God, how this is, this is the equivalent for anyone listening. This is the equivalent to saying, we want to follow the journey of a young Muslim teenager that wants to try bacon. Jewish or Muslim, a young um, Hindu that, you know, wants to uh, go against caste or something, something like that. And eat a beef burger. Yeah, eat a beef burger, something like that. And I was just flabbergasted that they would be so clueless to think this is something that they could make well, a documentary wait, over. I don't think you'd use the word clueless, would you really? Yeah. They knew yeah, exactly what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. The clueless is me probably, you know, explaining it naively. They they knew what they were after, but they just, the thing is for me, what, what remains shocking sometimes is the callousness of the media. How when it comes to story, they do not care who might get upset. They do not care about the trauma that they might be putting someone through by shining an extra spotlight on them when they're going through something that might be a difficult period at the end of the day it's a business they want to make their money they're going to go for what's most going to draw attention to them and you know sometimes that involves that means somebody like me has to step in and say actually no you can't do that that's that's not going to be something that we're going to support and that's not something that you're going to find any support for jazz um have you got any good news stories that you've managed to get into the press? Yep. So you're sitting next to someone that I can't praise enough for being part of one of my favorite stories or campaigns, to put it better, uh, that we've got gotten into the news. And that story, um, that campaign, sorry, was about getting the beard ban in boxing, amateur boxing overturned. So for, mm -hmm. I believe, over 120 years, UK amateur boxing has always had a beard ban. So that means since like the late 1800s, no one could compete in amateur boxing if they had a beard. And this presents difficulty for, of course, the Sikh community and other faith groups as well, because, you know, they're following, people that follow the faith would be keeping a beard. And for just anyone who doesn't understand the uh, system of boxing, essentially, you have to have a good amateur career to be a good professional boxer, both in terms of your uh, promotional credibility um, and also just your basic kind of grounding in the sport because, you know, to be before you're professional, you become an amateur and to be a good amateur, that's what takes you to the Olympics, for example, 
the boxing that we see in the Olympics is all amateur boxing, and that gives you the kind of pedigree to go on and do great things. Um, so see, the Sikh community was always denied this opportunity because of the beard ban. And that's why we saw very little, very few Sikhs actually in the sport of boxing, even though that kind of sport is right up the street of the philosophy of the Sikh community. So um, I think it was in 2000, late 2017, a group called Lions MMA, they had some what we would call case studies. Case studies meaning people that were literal cases of um, an example of this being an issue, of a live, real issue today. And so we got some clever heads together, and that includes uh, Mr. Amandeep Singh there with you, with his legal expertise and, and legal <laughs> he, he talk. He was one of the clever heads. He was, and you know what? I, I, I have to, he, he, he's spoken about this publicly a few times, but he never give, gives himself enough credit. Leave it, it out, Jazz. Oh, he does. Believe me, he does. <laughs> Maybe in the right spaces, but um, you know, I, I can I can say it for him. It, we came together. We wrote this email. He took the final look at it. The final look at it, meaning that he just played these played this role in having these little kind of changes to this letter that we were sending to England Boxing. That's the official um, boxing association of amateur boxing in the in England. And to send them this letter and say to them, look, we know that this is an issue. It's frankly discrimination. This is just paraphrasing. And, you know, if you do not consider overturning this, then, you know, we're going to take whatever steps we need to next. He took he threatened them. Yeah. <laughs> he, he played such a key role. And I know because I wrote this email. And then from what I wrote, I saw what I wrote and what he turned into. And I saw the key changes he made to you know really kind of let's just use the the terms that we would on road he'd stuck it on them he'd proper stuck it on them yeah well i mean he's from the east end exactly i know (laughs) it takes threatening comes a second (laughs) i'm i don't believe that i sorry i i i do not not believe that at all it takes one look at him <laughs> to think that to know that this guy he might have experience of sticking it on people so uh, no <laughs> offense somebody no in case the media in case the media in case anyone in the media listens to this let's not go into any more details on that. <laughs> no more details. But, but, uh, I've, I've, you've, you've raised you've raised a, a really wonderful memory on this bro that do you know do you know about this what was you talking about this, this mind theory this uh, um was it about the mind theory about two people coming together the third? oh yeah so um have you heard of the the mastermind theory? No, that sounds really interesting. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting idea. Um, I, um, Napoleon Hill writes about it extensively, and what he says is that when when two or more people come together with a common um, aim and a and a sense of harmony and goodwill between them, those two people create a third brain. And that third brain is far superior to the constituent parts of it and that both people can access it. And that same principle applies if you've got two, three, four, five, six, seven people. That makes complete sense to me. And, and I've seen that in practice. And that was definitely a case of, you know, this mastermind theory um, happening in in a practical sense because you know I have to give a shout out to the other names that were involved in this. We got um, Doctor Harbir Singh, 
Harbir Singh is um, the first ever osteopath that was on the uh, Great Britain squad for the Olympics in 2012. Um, we had Inder Singh Basi, who himself was another uh, was a case study, one of two case studies. He's um, lovely a, guy, lovely amazing guy. guy, undefeated, young, up and coming boxer, um, soon to be, you know, breaking through to the British stage, the European stage, and then the world stage. I know it. We're going to see that journey happen. Um, I'm really humble with it, bro. Really humble with it. And that's, you know, he, his, you guys are going to have him on, I'm sure, at some point. And, you know, you'll hear about his family, his grandfather who boxed as, as a Sikh in the 60s, professional boxed in the 60s, where, you know, that, that kind of heritage so amazing. We had um, Garam Singh, who at the time was trying to be a, an amateur boxer as a Amrit Dari sick so somebody who keeps their beard um we had the guys from lions mma and they're such an amazing group they hold kind of you know martial arts classes all across the uk and so all of these amazing brains came together and we solved the problem so quickly we astounded ourselves you know the the, the news was the easy part of it in fact it all just went so smoothly we were like wow is this really what we're capable of so it was a really empowering kind of thing and get getting that in the news was one of my favorite kind of positive stories for for the work that we do with the uh, sick pa i'll tell you one thing jazz you, you bring this up i'll tell you one thing that comes to my mind though um there was challenges of this um that was as you said going back there, there was parliamentary challenges yeah. Uh, legal challenges, yeah. all of which had failed before the team got together, yeah. which I'm very grateful and humbled to have been a part of in getting that overturned. But I'll tell you what's most notable, bruv. Having failed with legal challenges through the House of Lords and through QCs, the real threat that really won England boxing over was the threat of our group going to the press yeah. and having the press have their own opinion on what England boxing were doing by denying yeah. young Sikh boxers the right to practice as amateurs. And they saw that as more of a scary enemy to have to face, i.e. the media, yeah. than the police or the judiciary. Yep. It just goes to show how powerful the media is as a tool to be weaponized. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we've sometimes, you know, you we've heard um, weapons be described as an equaliser. And, you know, you're a martial artist. You probably heard that term where somebody might be really have a really powerful punch or something. And they say, oh, he's got a great equalizer on him. So that's what we're providing here, a literal equalizer. We're making the, the level, the playing field equal by empowering this small minority community with their own equalizer when they're coming up to face uh, a powerful entity. They've got the equalizer because they can use the media too. And, you know, that's, that's thanks to the vision of um, Jagrad Singh. One thing I just want to say about this story as well is that it kind of, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. It manifested because I love my boxing. I always have since I was like seven years old and my next door neighbor let us all stay up at his house to watch Mike Tyson fight. Um, I really love boxing. And uh, I remember reading a tweet from the famous boxing promoter, Frank Warren. He put out a tweet saying he was really happy that um, one of those legal challenges against boxing beard ban had failed because he was adamant that there should be no beards in amateur boxing. He was just like, it's unnecessary. There's some made up baloney about it being a health hazard, completely made up, no evidence behind that. And he was pushing all of that kind of thing out. And I tweeted him even before I was part of Sick Press Association, years before I knew, met, you know, yourself, Amandeep. And I tweeted him and said, one day we're going to get this beard bad overchanged. Watch. 
And that tweet, I'll put it up on my Instagram now just to show that, you know what, I, I just knew that once we mobilized as a community, that we wouldn't be stopped. And, you know, that was, like I said, even before I was part of any such organization. So We should get you on a stage somewhere, bro. That kind of rhetoric will have you um, inspiring the masses. <laughs> well, you know, one day, one thing at a time. It's my first ever podcast, so we'll take one step at a time. Is it really? It is. <laughs> um, it's, it's no small feat, Jazz. That's a 120-year ban that you overturned. Oh, man. I mean, like I said, as... as uh, it's put, saying I'm a boxing fan is, you know, doing it a disservice. I, I'm pretty much obsessed with the sport. I love it. I read about it every day. So, yeah, to be part of something that has changed something like that. And let's remember, it's, it's a snowball effect because a few months later, um, the Welsh Boxing Association, Amateur Boxing Association, yep. they came forward. Um, a six spoke out, said, I want to compete with my beard in, in Welsh boxing. Straight away, they saw what we'd done in England and they didn't even, they no arguments. They were like, you know what? It's changed. It's overturned. Bang, happened in Wales. So once we have an ex- somebody that wants to compete in Scotland, it will happen in Scotland and so forth and on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had conversations about getting it overturned in the USA. Um, it's already been overturned in Canada, thanks to the standoff, um, a great guy called Pardeep Singh Nagra in 1999. So it just takes, you know, people to kind of stand against these these arbitrary kind of um, laws that are there. And, you know, we can really change things. 100%, Bob. I think fear holds power over people. And when you are fearless, then people won't be, they won't be held down. And I think that's basically what happens. A few people were galvanised. They came together and and through and with your with your, underneath underneath the Sikh Press Association, they was able to lift that ban to the betterment of thousands of young boxers that are going to come through the ranks, right? Exactly that, and you know what? I know hand and heart within my lifetime, we're going to see a Sikh world champion. You know, as long as I can be here long enough, but uh, we're going to see that, and I know it's going to have come through that system from England because we have so many that are you know straight away. Let, let's just talk about what happened. Within months of that being overturned, we saw the first ever Amrit Dais, that means initiated, sick boxer, means that, you know, he would refuse to shave no matter what. He competed. He won by a first round knockout in the first ever competition. Crazy. Crazy. And that was the, I've been to sporting events. I've been to European Cup finals. I've been to world title heavyweight fights. I've even seen Floyd Mayweather in Las Vegas. I've been to two huge Las Vegas fights. That was the best sporting event I'd ever been to in my life. That was oh, wow. unbelievable. So that's Charampal Singh. Shout out to him. Well done, young man. So the backdrop is in 2015 <laughs> and 16, there were a handful, and I mean literally a handful. I'm talking about like three to five protests by members of the Sikh community against um, quote unquote interfaith marriage. Now, in calling it interfaith marriage is an unfair way to put it, but that's the way the media were portraying the situation. Essentially, there is a Sikh ceremony, which is akin to a marriage ceremony, different in its own way, which I'll explain. But that, that's the Anand, the Anand Karaj. The Anand Karaj is a ceremony where a couple take vows to commit to the Sikh guru. So it's not like your standard wedding ceremony where you're making vows to each other as a couple. It's a couple making vows to the Sikh guru. Now, this one ceremony is mandated by... I would say 99.9% of Sikh educators, Sikh institutions, Sikh leadership advocacy organizations, anyone that studied the faith as being for two, 
two Sikh people, two, two people of the Sikh faith that practice Sikhi. I know there was recently a, a documentary um, largely regarding this issue by a gentleman called Sonny Handel. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Is he, is, he, is he a good friend of yours? <laughs> so anyone who follows me on Twitter, let's give myself a Twitter shout, shout out. You know, all is good having a few extra followers just so we can Absolutely. kind of get the message out wider. So I've been on Twitter for probably about 10 years now as at Jazz the Journo, J-A-Z-Z, the Journo, as in journalist. Um, jazz being my nickname, obviously, but Jazz Ver, just weird. Um and, you know, I'm quite vocal on Twitter about various things. Usually I'm just talking about boxing and football. That's that's what I, you know, really yeah. like talking about. But um, anyone that follows me for long enough has seen that I often clash with this um, quote-unquote journalist, um, Sunny Hundel, who was the documentary presenter of um, the documentary that you're talking about, the presenter of that documentary. And, you know, he's definitely not a friend. I Personally, what I see from him is somebody who is a self-proclaimed community interpreter. In my role with the Sikh community, I go to countless events. You have to to play this kind of role. You have to connect with the community at grassroots levels. You have to speak to people face to face. You have to turn up to you know the processions, the meetings, the youth group talks, the camps, whatever else. That's how you get a feel and understanding of what the community is about, what the community sentiments are and so forth. I've never seen him at any, yet he speaks as if he's an expert on all types of sex situations and, and issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you ask, is he my friend? He's definitely not a friend of mine just simply because what? I don't value the work he does. In fact, I feel that the work that he does is detrimental to the community in various ways. What were your thoughts on, on that documentary? Mm. Well, I mean, as somebody that worked directly for Jagraj Singh, and I, you know, I like to refer to him now as posthumously as by Jagraj Singh, because he was such an amazing, incredible, visionary, revolutionary, educator, leader, friend, brother, father, I'm sure and so forth and you know I worked directly with him pretty much speaking to him every day for um two and a half years or so um you know yeah so, close to three years you, yep during that time yep how much was Sunny Handel about yeah so <laughs> Jagraj and Sunny are brothers and they don't get on at they never got on during the period I knew Jagraj in fact the opposite of not getting on they were you know publicly at each other and Jagraj was quite adamant in that he viewed his brother in the same way that I've described him as somebody who does work which is detrimental to the overall community image and how much was he involved he turned up to our um, launch our official launch in 2015 which I helped present and you know he asked a few kind of um, provocative questions at the launch and we he was involved, he was asked to be a speaker at one event by Jagraj Singh in 2015 as well, which was on um, which was on India's treatment of women. It was based on that famous documentary, um, India's Daughter. And he, that was it. He was in no way ever, I was in no way ever asked to connect with him, to get any advice on media. There was no influence that he had on our work. There was nothing. There was like, like I said, this short 
few months where he turned up to two CPA events, the one he was invited to, to speak at by his brother. And that was the end of that. And furthermore, during that period, he was often critical about the work that we did because he felt, you know, we were just providing a, being a mouthpiece for his brother. He felt that we shouldn't be giving a platform to certain sections of the Sikh community. And yeah, so that's, that's partly why we've clashed. I mean, there have been accusations about that documentary um, that it was, it was almost like he was hijacking the name of his brother to push his own agenda about his views on, on mixed marriages. Yeah, I mean, let, let's think of it like this. Imagine a documentary was created about, um, let's say, Muhammad Ali, the great Muhammad Ali. Imagine mm -hmm. a documentary was created about this kind of, you know, revolutionary, visionary figure. And for some reason, they decided to bring up issues of um, American gang culture, and related it to him. Imagine that they, imagine that, and, and this is after he passed away. So after, yeah, I mean, look, let, let, me, let me just be frank. There were three or four topics that were brought up that were related to the work of Jagraj Singh, which was based on educating the Sikh community about Sikhi, about the Sikh faith. There were three to four topics brought up in that documentary that happened after Jagraj Singh had passed away. This documentary self-proclaimed was about the work of Jagraj Singh and his impact on the community. And why are they bringing up these controversial events that happened after he passed away? I know why, because as I've said a hundred times through this discussion that we're having, the media often goes for what's more controversial because it sells more, because they're a business, because they don't care about journalistic ethics. They care about selling. They just, you know, any other salesman and yeah but you don't sell out you don't sell out someone posthumously in a way that's going to detract from their character while they were alive mm. in, in, a, in a false way and i'll tell you one thing bruv i think a lot of people will have missed this from a legal perspective having having watched that program obviously language is very yeah. important my background is legal um the the language that was used was very very um the implication from the words that were used was that you would naturally have a negative view of the person that was being spoken about, even though it wasn't expressed. Yeah. Like, I'll give you an example. Very early on, the question was posed um, rhetorically. So why did Jagraj become so religious? Yeah. And, and the way that it's phrased is, you know, what happened to him? What, 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 what did he have to suffer to have to go this way. When in fact, Jagraj's whole life was a celebration of him becoming enlightened. 150%, and, yep. And he always spoke about how he found Sikhi in his 20s as being the greatest time. And the way, but the language that was used, the, the language that he was framed in, it was that he had to have suffered a loss or someone's, you know, he had to have been a, some sort of negative precursor event. And I think that sort of language was deliberately used. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, was, I mean, that, was a real, that was a real foul play. If any, a lot of people wouldn't have picked up. Definitely. That. And if anyone thinks that, you know, perhaps you're out of order or you're making something out of nothing by saying that, well, guess what? A newspaper article came out after that documentary and it placed the, the image of Jagrad Singh, this revered, you know, now passed away Sikh leader, and it said the new face of Sikh radicalism. Oh wow! And so, that's, and that's so that's, that's not made up. That's not 
us projecting some sort of perception <laughs> of this documentary somewhere else. This was what a professional TV critic had taken away from that documentary. That there's this bunch of well, super radicals up, and yeah, it's really up. It's, it's it's frustrating and upsetting, and I don't mind telling you that you know I was, I was hurt personally at you know this depiction of somebody that I respect so highly. Well, let's have it straight. The point, the the, the hard facts are, this documentary was made by someone who worked in journalism, and the consequence of that was that it gave license to other journalists to do that. What you just said, Bottom yeah, line. exactly that. It's not. It's not a matter of opinion. We can't. We can argue to the cars can kind of about between each other about whether it's right or wrong. Bottom line is, he created that documentary, and the and and the historical consequence of that was was how you just said how Jaguar was then framed in the media, how they were given license to frame him in that way. Yeah, exactly that. And it, it's it's terrible to see. It's terrible to see that. The BBC, such an accredited organisation when it comes to media, they could commission something like this, which did not even involve the organisation Jagraj created, which led to him being so, let's just say, famous and so respected widely and so well known. That's that's, that's unbelievable. So you know, should are they going to create a documentary on Sir Alex Ferguson and not include Manchester United? And not speak to Manchester United. You don't want to interview the players that worked with Manchester, that worked with Sir Alex Ferguson, that made him so famous and you know were so successful in in what he created. It's well, it's unbelievable. Better still, wait till he passes. Yeah, away exactly. And then the documentary, and then not exactly. And then why not bring up? Were you asked? No. Well, I mean, look, our involvement came. We, we were aware that this documentary was being made and since it was since it was first discussed since the very first kind of public meet I know for a fact that people involved in those discussions were saying you need to speak to the Sikh press association Jagraj Singh himself created a media organization to help production companies like this cover things appropriately and if you're going to cover Jagraj Singh it just makes sense to work with the organization he created. So a month went by, two months went by, went to about three months went by where these meetings were taking place and people were saying, you know, speak to the Sick Press Association. They hadn't come forward to speak to us. Then after about three months of these meetings taking place, they came forward to us and I sat with the director and my colleague and we had a discussion about the direction they wanted to take the film in. He'd let us know that they were planning on starting filming within two weeks. So we were basically sidelined from any kind of creative angle that they wanted to take and they just presented us with you know you've got this short period of time of do you want to be involved or not if you do want to be involved you can help us set, set up some interviews if you don't well you know we're going through with it anyway we said thank you very much but no thanks they asked more questions about controversies than they did ask about to things actual work and again controversies that happened after he passed away Controversies that you know he wasn't just to be clear, controversies that had nothing to do with nothing to do. How can they? They were controversial in their own right. There was no controversy around Jaguar. None. Jaguar. There was no controversy. There was no controversy linked with to him. This guy's a plumber. It was yeah. Again, like I use the example of this guy's a plumber. I mean, who is he? Bro, who is this guy? 
guy, bro. Someone get me his phone number. I'd like to talk to this plonker. And that's a sad thing. This guy has never actually gone out of his way to have an actual conversation with me, which I found astounding. If my brother had set up something which was, you know, connected with the work that I do, I'm going to speak to those people like they're my own family. I'm going to, you know, try and make some sort of inroads and, and connection with them. But he's never even had a conversation with a bunch of us at the organization. So, I mean, it's quite <laughs> Jez, confusing. Jez, have you have you seen that meme of Conor McGregor at a UFC press conference? And some nobody the... noticed that. <laughs> of course, yeah. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who is this Who guy, bro? Who is that guy? Right, guys, stop. He's sunny, hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if if he come, if this gets back to him and he hears this, I'd be happy for him to actually be brave enough to say, "Why don't we sit and discuss this publicly?" He can use. He ain't gonna see. He can't face us. I thought you were gonna go down the MMA path. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I did. Yeah. I did send out a tweet one day because somebody actually tagged me in with him and said, "Why don't you guys just settle this with a white collar boxing match?" And that's probably that's one of the few things that would get me in the ring. You know. Um. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you what. I tell you what. If that goes down, we'll put up a thousand pounds on the fight. Yeah, I'm backing. <laughs> Whoever, whoever wins will put up a thousand pounds. Yeah, are you calling out? I'm calling out. So you, you're, you're bankrolling this fight. I'll bankroll the fight. Let's get this. Fight. I'll tell you one thing, bro. I'll tell you where, where, where some element of disdain comes on my part. I was with Jagraj in his dying days, bro, when he left this world in the physical sense. We can't really say he's ever passed from this world because his presence is still felt by thousands, thousands every day. New people day. discovering him. I love seeing I, that. Exactly. And so in, in, the, in his last days in the physical sense in this world, I was with him and there was only one guy that I saw cause him pain and suffering. And that was this guy, Sonny Hundle. And I was there. I was there with him. I was there when he was trying to do his last steps, wow. trying to walk around the garden. I was very fortunate to, be, to have that chance to serve him and help try to ease that pain, holding him as he's going for a short 10 foot walk in his garden. And the one guy that was causing him the most stress, the most stress, was this plonker, Sonny Hundle, who somehow, without any links to the Sikh faith through practice or, or connection, has felt he's got a right and a responsibility to represent us. It's a nonsense. When, when you say that, that's, that Sonny Hundle was causing Jagraj pain, yeah. did he say anything spe- specifically to you? Yeah, Jagraj, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. So I remember one particular occasion, I was sitting on his sofa. It was me, Jagraj, um, and, and my, sis- my, my uh, sister by relation, Sukhmani, um, and um, she was putting around the kitchen and uh, he's just like, this guy is stressing me out so much with these tweets and the way he was going on about it. And I was like, just give him a call in terms of just, you know, slack, you know, give it a bit of slack. But he wasn't letting up because there was a career to be had out of this situation. There was a career to be forged mm, out of this situation. Yeah. I think he that's was laying key. the foundations for this documentary long before Javaj passed. But he had much more freedom to do what he wanted after he passed. I'm surprised he hasn't he hasn't met um, met the backhand of met the backhand of uh, some passionate people that have been aggrieved by his misrepresentations. There's a thousand pounds that says it's, it's still. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's let's see how that's kind of received. But I mean, uh, again, you know, he, <laughs> I, I think anyone that was close to Jagraj Singh in any way, especially when it came to kind of you know what we would call his pantic work, his work for the community. He didn't hide his feelings about kind of, you know, this style of journalism that his brother seemed to kind of, you know, pursue this sensationalism. 
again, you know, when you're calling the community, when you're calling the community out for having extremism issues and radicalism issues, you are by definition comparing them to those that are going out and sporadically killing people on the street. You're comparing them to jihadis. You're comparing them to right-wing Nazis that are killing MPs. For what? For peaceful protests? You know, even if you say they weren't peaceful, they're still just protests. They're not, they're no... Yeah, sorry. Even when you before you go to sorry to cut across you there, bro. Even before you go to that point, the, the, the assumption is, or the presupposition is, is that before you talk about whether what this guy is saying is right or wrong, the the presumption is, is that he's in a place where he's got a right to speak on behalf. Yeah. And like I, I couldn't go into a mosque and start representing Islamic views. It would be inappropriate. I wouldn't dream to do it. It would be it would hurt the public sentiment of the greater Muslim population. I wouldn't do that. This guy is a self-proclaimed a non-sec or a cultural sec, as he said, a sec by association. He's got no right representing Sikhs. And for him to do this and then try to do it posthumously to his brother, who had no connection to him, and like I said, in his last dying days, caused the most pain to him, you know, um, I, I don't see that he had a right to do that. And when we start asking questions about what he said, we're almost validating the guy and giving him a legitimate That's platform. True, yeah. What we should be saying is what Conor McGregor said. What did he say? Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> 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 I, I, my Irish accent isn't too bad. I can't lie. We had we had quite a few um, Irish gypsies in the area that would ha- hold no hesitation in speaking to us like that. And uh, and yeah, we, I've heard that before. Believe me. So uh, we've established that um, Mr. Sonny Handel is not a close friend of yours. <laughs> um, uh, there's another gentleman um, who I've been seeing on TV a fair bit. Um, apparently, he is a Sikh leader, isn't a Sikh leader. And he's actually your... Oh, your I get confused friend. with him all the time. I get phone calls all the time that from people that either think I'm him or, um, you know, perhaps the other way around. No, I, I, know, I, know, I, know, I know you're not him. <laughs> My question is that are you friends with him? Um, no, no, I'm not <laughs> friends with him. I mean, look, he's somebody who... We really need to work on this. <laughs> you know what? I've got a lot of friends, actually. That sounds so defensive. But I, I, I do have a good circle of friends. So, you know, perhaps, perhaps it's because I'm not looking... <laughs> You're doing it again, Rob. You haven't got... Listen... Don't respond to this guy's nonsense, bro. Don't let him suck you in. Um, Sometimes the okay, okay. So, Sometimes the yeah, that's wrong. true. That's Thanks. Really well, you know what? Andy? You've got a career in media waiting for you. You've, you could, you've got a job waiting for you, I think. Just on that topic, I'm sure um, Mr. Jasveer Singh has been in the news lately for his um, work and subsequent resignation for uh, his role with a government task force representing the UK as a quote-unquote faith leader, um, representing UT- UK Sikhs, sorry, as a faith leader. Um, I'm sure he's, he does a lot of good work. I know that he does a lot of work in the areas of like interfaith networking, so, you know, providing Sikh representation at biz- business and political networking events, and that's fine. Everyone has their role to play. Um, but, sure. you know, he's... His name has come up recently because he's been given this role as a faith leader. He's in no way a faith leader. He's never has. And I doubt that in any time soon we 
ever will see him leading any sort of kind of faith-led initiatives, for example, you know, leading prayer in a godwara or speaking in an mm-hmm. educated way on the faith in a way that Sangat Sikh congregation come forward to hear him speak. So, I mean, it's just about, you ask me if he's my friend, I see people like that again doing a disservice and being detrimental towards the community. Everyone has a role to play. I I have to say this honestly now, and this is no kind of, you know, trying to be egotistical, but I, there's a lot of spots that get offered to me, which I say, you know, that's that's not my place to fulfill. And that could be, you know, various mm. things of kind mm. of, you know, represent in this way or do interview on this topic or, um, you know, write about this topic and this, that, the other, or present this view. You know, we have to know our role. That's that's something in life. And I think I've probably picked that up mainly from sports. You know, I'm just obsessed with sports. I didn't have this background. I've got no political uh, background of kind of like, you know, trying to be involved in politics or networking or interfaith stuff. I wasn't really involved with the Sikh community at all in any way until around 2013-ish when, you know, some of my friends started getting involved in some community efforts and they wanted to use my skills as a writer to edit work and so forth. So I look at this as a very teamwork kind of way, you know, I've been captain of a team, I've been a manager of a football team and so forth. And you just play your role. Everyone has a role to play. Play your role. Know whether you're a fullback or a centre-back. Don't go up and saying, you know, I've been playing right back my whole life, but I, I'm ready to play as a striker now. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Just just stick with your role and everyone will, no. will succeed like that. Uh, as, as you know, we're, we're, uh, we're yep. property developers. And it sounds akin to getting a bricklayer to do your electric. Yeah, you just, you just don't, don't do it. And do see, we, I said this earlier, and this is a really important thing to bear in mind, especially with the work I do, and especially with how media kind of, you know, places people in certain positions. If we want to talk about history, the best person to talk about it is a historian. If we want to talk about quantum mm. physics, the best person to talk about it is a uh, specialists on quantum physics whatever you call them if you want to talk about any particular subject look for an expert on that topic that should be your first go-to and when it comes to the sick community unfortunately the media does not work in this way the media they often look for familiarity so does the political world they look for, yeah, yeah, they look for familiarity people. ahead of looking for expertise and that's why it's important, those of us within the community, we push those with the expertise. We're in 2020. There's no more issues of, you know, language barriers because, you know, somebody was born and raised in Punjab. Even those that are born and raised in Punjab and come over here, they've got better English than people like me. You know, um, my brother. I think, I think if, if, what, what you're saying about, I mean, I've never met this guy, Jazz. Obviously, he's come across on the TV. I mean, and he's he's resigned. Yeah, yeah, he's resigned. He's rightfully yeah. resigned because... But I mean, have you? Seen, I mean, it, it echoes, uh, as you'll know, Jazz. Yeah. I'm a massive film buff. You, you'll have seen Gladiator. That was one of the late '90s. Maybe my favourite film ever. Yeah. And one of the one, a really, really a powerful movie. And Marcus yeah. Aurelius, the emperor, um, he calls in his top general at the time, Russell Crowe, and he says, "I've got one last bidding of you before I relieve you of your command of my northern yeah. armies or whatever it was." And he goes, "What would it be?" And he says, um, "That you take yeah. my place as emperor of all of Greece." And he goes, do you accept? And he goes, with all my heart, no. And uh, and uh, Marcus... That's why you must. Says, yeah, that's, that's why, why you must. So powerful. In other words, mm. we, have, we have a scenario now where where the infantry who are not fit to lead are all saying, let me lead. And 
in the days of old, in the yeah. days of the wise, it was those that were who knew the responsibility of what it meant to lead and represent that would be saying, "Not exactly. me, I'm not worthy." And and I think I, I don't know this guy just to to, to judge, but I'm, I'm heavily I, I like you know I, I like listening to a lot of lectures from a lot from so contemporary scholars. It's something that I'm very passionate about doing. And he just isn't part yep. of that circuit. Exactly, he's exactly not that. On that circuit, to to say that he's going to lead the Sikh Godara is to is is actually quite. As I say, the words come to mind. It's actually quite Very insulting. insulting because what you're doing is you're saying, "Thanks, lads, I'll take it from here," and you're bypassing great scholars exactly that, have that. Spent years and years as part of these institutions, working with them, working for them, serving them, and saying, "I can do better." When you've had, you've exactly had to that. that. That's my exactly. Happened. I Definitely. And I, I need to bring up something as well, because I, I realized once just the other week, actually watching a film with uh, my wife that, you know, I, I'm, I've become quite astute at picking up where there is hidden lines of propaganda, because this work that I do now, it's very based in and around kind of propaganda and studying propaganda from governments or other establishments and so forth. And the feedback that came out of this issue um, after he resigned was that he resigned because there's this issue of bullying within the Sikh community and those that felt insulted those that felt insulted <laughs> about him getting that position, they responded in a way which was, you know, essentially bullying. Now, what that is the line they took. That is, a, for me, propaganda. Because what is what what is also is bullying propaganda. is sidelining people, is being condescending, is leaving people out. That is another form of bullying, which is just as prevalent in the classrooms yeah, as, like, you know, is the obvious form of bullying of calling people names. So there needs to be acceptance of your own role in that. If you're going to be bullying people by using your political and establishment leverage to sideline people, to ostracize people and to, you know, go over people's head that, like you said, have spent years, decades of studying to get into a position of respect in this role then you have to be accepting of your role in it's not it's not yeah. even sorry sorry jazz it's not even just respect it's th these people are fitting yeah. emperors if you like th these guys are these guys are fit to rule they they have led people against much difficulty and strife and you know it, it, it just beggars believe that somebody could come up and go, I'm, I can do a better job than this, having had no engagement. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And Jazz, what I'd, what I'd say is that um, if you think that he is a bully, I've got another, another thousand pounds. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just one favour. Just start to make friends. This is becoming really expensive oh. for me, mate. Oh, I'm, I'm coming across quite quite terribly. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to follow up by getting some of my friends online. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that old school kind of South little typical London thing of just starting to shout out friends like you know, big up my friends from South Hill that know who the real me is and so forth. So, yeah. But... Well, given that you yeah. you live in Canada. It's quite concerning <laughs> that your friends are in South I'm new to the country. <laughs> I'm new to the country. Leave, leave it out. Leave it out. I've got a few friends there. Jazz, it's been a real pleasure um, speaking with you. As always, it's been enlightening. Um, I'm sure you're going to carry on bringing the light in that murky world 
of the media. If per chance you want to switch careers, we've already got your first two fights lined up by ending who's now becoming a, a boxing promoter, an impromptu boxing promoter. So you're in for two grand. If, uh, nice, nice. Grand, my my right. worry is who's going to offer me uh, who offer me out for that third fight. So I might just retire quickly after making a quick two grand. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, want, you want a third fight? I, I, oh, I but, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> he, he's famous enough. Let's see how much money gets on the line there. Money talks at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> Any final thoughts? I mean, I think people just, yeah, I just, you know, if there's anything to take away from this, people need to understand that media is just a business. They're just trying to sell a product at the end of the day. The days of kind of, you know, believing that there's impartiality neutrality coming from these organizations in media outlets it's time to forget that 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 doesn't exist um and you know just be aware keep your don't take your blinkers off and um just be aware of kind of you know perhaps what the depths of the story is and finally if anyone does want kind of support from the sick community that might be listening to this podcast with the two things. Um, you can always get in touch with us, media at sickpa.com, uh, where you can follow us at sickpa, the sick press association. We're easy to find on any of the main social media outlets. And yeah, that's all. So, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Rob. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Looking forward to seeing you back in the country. Well, me up soon. You know what? Actually, one thing I did want to say um, that I had stood up in the back of my head. We, you know, we've talked about our brother Jagraj Singh. Um, you know, when he passed away, I, I, I lost a brother, I lost a leader, I lost a mentor. But during that whole time is when I met you two guys. So I gained two brothers as well at that time. And you know, sometimes that's the way the universe works. That's the way you know blessings work as well. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. And uh, yeah, definitely, we'll, we'll be meeting up soon for um, some pizza and chips or whatever else, you know, milkshakes and all of that. Yeah, man. Feelings, feelings, 100% mutual. Much love, guys. Deep love, deep, deep love. love. Boys. Take care, guys. Love.